Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Jones Podcast, where we show off our enthusiasm and, well, Jones for fantasy sports to help you win your league. Now let's Jones some fantasy. Win big in 2021 with Rotoballer.com's NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long and DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass and Draft Kit includes rankings, projections, and cheat sheets for all formats. Get exclusive draft articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chats. Join in on the winning and take 50% off on any Premium Pass. Use the promo code FRA, F-R-A for another 10% discount. Just visit rotoballer.com slash radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. Welcome to the Fantasy Jones. I'm Carlos Marion, and I'm here with our expert, Frank Amarante. Frank, we just finished watching week one of football. How did it, how did it feel for you? Because for me, oh. it was the greatest thing. Oh. Sit on the couch and enjoy it for hours and hours. Oh, it's so great. Week one's always awesome. You got those such excitement to see all these players you've been talking about and overanalyzing for months finally take the field and there were a lot of uh, impressive performances some some surprising performances and today we're going to go through a handful we picked one player from each matchup in week one and we're going to talk about why they intrigue me whether it's positive or whether it's negative exactly so we're going to go through game by game here and we're going to just jump right into it. And we're going to start off with the Thursday night game. We went live on Thursday. We were watching this game. And at, just like everybody else, we were intrigued by a number of players. Antonio Brown came out. But first off, uh, the biggest name was Gronk unexpectedly got two touchdowns. Now, Frank, what is going on with Gronk in fantasy this year after this week one performance? Well, Eight receptions for 90 yards and two touchdowns out of a tight end. You know how barren the tight end position is. So anytime a player puts up this kind of performance, you need to act quickly. It looks like Gronk, perhaps that year off, and then last year he started to get going down the stretch. Now with a full and regular offseason, he looks like, not. let's not say that he's totally back, but he looks like he's going to make an impact. And like I said, tight end is such a weak position. I know that that game against Dallas was a game where both teams were airing it out at a high clip, but this is going to be a high-octane Bucks offense. Gronk will have a chance to score double-digit touchdowns here. Like He's Brady's preferred target in the red zone, him and Mike Evans, although it wasn't like that in, on Thursday, but he does like to feed Evans in the red zone. So Gronk, I know there's a lot of mouths to feed, but that's okay because tight end is so weak. And, you know, you got to consider him at least in the top eight right now. And I was low on Gronk coming into the season because of his age and how many mouths they have to feed. I didn't, I wasn't sure if he fully had anymore, but I'm doing a total 180 on that. You, I'm very optimistic of his rest of season outlook. I think he's a top eight in the eight to 10 range of tight ends. He's a clear cut tight end one with upside. Absolutely. Especially when you look at his snap count at close to 88%, that just shows you he's the number one guy. Oh, you didn't even see OJ yeah. Howard, Cameron Bray. It was just That's, nonstop Gronk. 
That's actually a fantastic point. I didn't even fully consider that, but you're absolutely right. Like, I don't think they even saw the field. I'm looking on one of my websites for snap counts and I don't see anything for OJ. If they did, it was very, very little. So, I mean, you don't really have to worry about OJ Howard, I guess, coming off the torn Achilles or maybe they're easing him in. But even if they are, like Gronk looked phenomenal. Obviously, he's not going to put up this kind of Travis Kelsey line every week or even in most weeks or even half of the weeks. But he's showing he still has it and he's definitely worth starting every week in your lineup. Yeah, especially with the wasteland that is the tight end position. If you didn't pay up for Kelsey or Waller, you're you're looking at just a, a wasteland. Exactly. Yeah. You got some Goddard shares. He looked okay, but you know, there's yeah. uh, there's some guys that later on, there's not much. Shoot for the moon, right? Exactly. And even the good ones, other than Kelsey and Waller, have those bad games. Like I love Mark Andrews. He got three catches for 20 yards. So anytime you see a tight end do what Gronk just did, you have to act quickly. I know he's rostered in most leagues, but if you did take him you were probably on the borderline of whether or not you were thinking of starting him every week. But after what you saw, he has to be fired up there, locked and loaded as your tight end every single week. Absolutely. Now we're going to go on to the next game. This involves your team, the team. They were facing off against the Chargers. Now, instead of uh, going on somebody for Washington, you decided that you want to go for the, a Chargers wide receiver. Think about Mike Williams, right? <laughs> All right, let's start with Mike Williams. I know Antonio Gibson looked great, but I've talked about him at nauseum. Like, and JD McKissick had two, like two opportunities. Gibson had five targets and 20 carries. So we're not going to get into that. You know, he's a monster. So I chose Mike Williams because it's very interesting. Coming into the year, new offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, talked about how Mike Williams is going to have a career year. He's a huge, perfect fit in the new offense. They said he said basically he bet on him being great in fantasy this year, something along those lines. Now, I liked him coming in the year, but in week one, I didn't like him because Washington's defense profiles is one of the best in football. They did a good job bending but not breaking against L.A., but the Chargers skill players definitely did work. And Mike Williams was one of them. You look what he did. 12 targets. He had a 26 percent target share, which is only two percent fewer than Keenan Allen. But what's even more exciting is that in the past, Mike Williams was basically only used as a red zone threat and that deep downfield target. His average depth of target last year was 14 yards. It's tough to really rack up target uh, receptions when you're always targeted downfield because further passes are harder to catch. Your catch efficiency goes down. You don't get as many catches. Well, in week one, his average depth of target was 9.8, a significant decrease. So you're seeing him get more intermediate targets, which will be huge for his fantasy value. And you add in the fact that Joe Lombardi hyped him up, their offensive coordinator, and this is just looking like a high upside wide receiver three who could flirt with wide receiver two, top 24 value for the entire season. And this week, he's in an absolute shootout against the Cowboys the game totals 54 points, highest on the slate. Mike Williams needs to be in, in your lineups this week, and you have to be really excited about him going forward. Like you said, he's being used a little bit differently, getting more opportunities than he has in the past, a new coaching scheme. This is exciting stuff to see out of your, 
if you, especially if you put a if you gave him a shot in in the middle rounds it's a fantastic play he's looking great so far and the chargers with herbert look like they're just going to keep just keep up where up they right. left yeah pick exactly. up right where they left off yeah there you exactly go. anyway i'm back to my team the eagles they completely pounded the falcons it was a destruction it was not close it was a battle of the lines and our offensive line completely demolished them, especially our defensive line in the second half. It was ridiculous. But anyway, running back popped off a little bit. He actually had a touchdown called back. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So Kenny Gainwell, the Eagles drafted him as a similar to Naheem Hines type player. And here he is. Week one, completely shutting out Boston Scott. Now, Frank, what is going on? Are you all in on Kenny Gainwell? Yes, Kenneth Gainwell is my second favorite waiver wire running back, or never mind running back, waiver wire player of this week that you need to add immediately behind Elijah Mitchell. So Gainwell, looking back at him in college at Memphis, he was the reason why Antonio Gibson was playing wide receiver Gainwell was a starting running back number one I gl I'm glad you brought up Naheem Hines because head coach Nick Sirianni was offensive coordinator with the Colts so that that parallel is really important in that we've seen this play caller use a running back like this in a with a large role especially in the passing game and the fact about what you said with Boston Scott was huge because that was one of the factors that pushed you off Gainwell a bit well you know Boston Scott is still there he's a rookie he was drafted in the fifth round Gainwell that is so you know maybe it'll take him time to get a role and Boston Scott will take from that well Boston Scott didn't play a single snap Gainwell played 35 percent of the snaps compared to Miles Sanders is 66 percent so this is a clear-cut home run handcuff because if Sanders misses time, Gainwell would likely be the lead back. And he has that rece those receiving skills. So he, he has huge upside in that regard. And he also has standalone value. Like he had three targets. He had a goal line carry, rushed for a touchdown. Uh, he had nine carries on the ground. So in games when the Eagles are winning, you could see Gainwell get like 10 touches, which is pretty valuable if you're in a deeper PPR league with the way he's used in the passing game. So Kenneth Gainwell, you know, you also see Miles Sanders often miss a game or two. You could fire Gainwell as an RB2 immediately if that were to happen. So I think you need to prioritize him. Me, myself, in the league I'm in with Carlos. Funny enough, I have the second waiver. Carlos has the first waiver. Carlos is going to likely get Elijah Mitchell away from me, even though, because of course he's not biased. He's not going to take his eagle and Gainwell. Or he might, who knows, but I think he won't. So I'm going to take Gainwell with a wide. I'm fully fine with using my number two waiver. You don't want to hold on to these waivers for too long. You want to fire them up and just churn out these bottom tier players on your bench because you could get a lottery ticket like Gainwell. I'm going to be dropping Philip Lindsay because why? Mark Ingram was carrying the load there. The Texans, I still think, are terrible. And, none of, and Lindsay doesn't catch passes. So Gainwell is an easy pickup for me. And he really sees a bump in value after the way he was used in week one. Yeah. And to add on to that point with his receiving skills, the talk out of all the camps from the beat writers was that essentially he's one of our best route runners, period, on the team. 
Well, it was Devontae Smith, heavy, heavy. But, you know, when he went out wide, he looked fine. And uh, in the two-minute drill, it, right before the second half, he was out there that entire drive. When it come, when the Eagles are in extremely close games, maybe in the San Fran game, who knows? Second half, checkdowns, work, work the offense, you know, like through him too. It, it's, it's exciting to have a guy like this, or, you know, like a Brian Westbrook type player who has all these abilities because Miles Sanders, as much as I love him as a runner, has some real issues catching the ball. He's maybe it's like a confidence thing. I'm not sure, but they are completely uh, confident in putting all this weight on the rookie running back. And this is a this is something that really makes me hurt to take Elijah Mitchell because I bur got burned last year with Malcolm Brown, and I'm I'm fully expecting like a similar situation to happen where I could just take Kenneth Gainwell and know that long term I'm going to feel good. Maybe Miles Sanders is out one game, but I'll know that I'll have at least week-to-week -week value with him as, like, I, like we said, the Naheem Hines, James White, you know, getting those catches and some, some carries. I want to just add one more thing that we didn't – that you brought up, you touched on. The Eagles killed the Falcons in that game. What's going to happen when the Eagles are trailing and they're down 10, down 14 in a game? We might see Kenneth Gainwell as the primary back because of his receiving ability. And like you said, Gainwell can often be on the field at the same time as Sanders and split out wide. So really love this pickup. You need to really target Gainwell in your league. Yeah, another thing was that uh, Dan Norlaski, I was just watching a video how he was talking about how the offense essentially looks like Oklahoma's offense with Jalen Hurts, where a lot of RPOs, a lot of, you know, two running back systems. So I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see in the future. And uh, it's exciting. Honestly, uh, our offensive line's amazing. So I think uh, yeah. he's, he's in for people really slept on this team way too much. Yeah. Anyway, now on to the next game, the jets faced the Panthers, Sam Darnold in his little revenge game. went brought their brought him to victory, but, uh, on the Jets, their rookie wide receiver was a little quiet, Frank. You know, he, he played a lot of snaps, but Elijah Moore, only one reception for minus three yards. What are you doing with Elijah Moore now? Well, Elijah Moore, the fact that he played 86% of the snaps, he was second in air yards. He had 92 compared to Corey Davis's 118. I know he only had 11.76% target share and he, one catch for negative three yards is awful. But if I have room, I might hang on to him for another week because you have to like how often he was on the field. 86% is nice for a rookie making his debut. The one problem is that Keelan Cole was out and so was Jamison Crowder. Crowder, I believe, is, is going to be back. I'm not sure about Cole, but so we got to see if that eats into his usage. If it does and Moore has a quiet game, then you can drop him. But for me... I'm not ready to give up on him in shallower leagues. I want to still leave him on the bench. Just the fact that he was on the field that much was, was um, encouraging. And, you know, the Panthers' defense could be much improved. They put so much draft capital the last few years there. They were just pounding defense in the draft, including their last two first-rounders. So maybe it's just getting better. And maybe we see the, a little more from more against the Patriots this week. So I'll give him another chance if you're in a regular standard size 12 team league. 
and uh zach wilson really looked like you can just sling that ball deep and more had a 23 yard uh depth of target so you know he's just going to get those deep deep balls so uh, it could be interesting. Maybe he'll be a little sneaky play in the future in the coming that's, weeks, right? That's a good point. I didn't even see that. Well, 23 average depth of target. They're really letting him run deep. And some people thought Moore was just a slot, you know, but he has that ability to win deep, even as a slot receiver. And he was often compared to Tyler Lockett. So definitely give him another chance. All right. So now we're on to San Fran and Detroit. Now, this game was a big shocker. If you expected San Fran to completely steamroll them, it com- flipped the switch. Especially if you watched the game early, you thought, I thought San Fran had it. And then next thing you know, your boy DeAndre Swift gets 11 targets in the second half and, or, and yeah. just Love was that. wild. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to talk about Debo Samuel, who completely went off and he, com- he, he erupted and, you know, with Brandon Ayuk clearly doing not much of anything, what do you expect the Debo Samuel to do from now on? This was super interesting to me because I had Brandon Ayuk as the player who I thought would be the top target in, like next to George Kittle, top wide receiver target. You know, Ayuk was good at beating man coverage. He showed a lot of potential as a rookie. But I don't know what happened. I think there were reports that he needs to learn how to be more of a pro or he he regressed in camp, whatever it was. He only played 47% of the snaps. He was not even targeted. There was even a beat writer who said he was outplayed by Trent Sherfield during camp. Mm. So it's really concerning about Ayuk. And what did Debo do during all that? He played 83% of the snaps. He had 100 air yards. The next closest uh, wide receiver was Sherfield at 28. Debo had 12 targets, nine catches, 189 yards, and a touchdown. Here's the thing. His average depth of target was 8.3. So he was allowed, he was running deeper routes. His average depth of target in 2020 was absurdly low. It was 2.2. So he was run, he was running much deeper routes now, and that make, gives him more value because he can make bigger plays rather than just these bubble screens and dump offs. And it's closer to the usage we saw with him as a rookie when he had a 7.4 average depth of target. And when he was a rookie, he was really exciting. A lot of people loved him. So you have to flip your rankings now. You can't be still with Ayuk over Debo Samuel after what we just saw. Debo looks like a top 24 option because he's the one beaded George Kittle and sometimes even 1A because... George Kittle blocks a lot. And of course, Debo Samuel can add some value on the ground. He's a good runner. So got to love what you're seeing from Debo Samuel going forward. Yeah, it was really surprising with that IU thing, but I guess he was, I had had that lingering issue in training camp and held him out. Debo took advantage. Anyway, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Got Najee Harris. The rookie running back dominated touches as expected, but what many didn't expect was that he played every single snap. Frank, tell me more. Tell me more about Najee Harris. So the reason I chose Najee Harris is because this is a player going in the second round, early second round of drafts, sometimes fell to the end of the second round. Highly hyped, first round running back, playing for the Steelers. They love to feed their running back. What did they do? They fed him. 
100% of the snaps is crazy. That's crazy usage that if we look at all the running backs in the league, I'm just pulling it up right now. He was the only running back who had 100% of the snaps. Second was Daryl Henderson with 94.23%. And I believe we're going to talk about him later. No, we Yeah, I'm going to switch it from Monty to Henderson, but I can we'll talk about both. Anyway, uh, you know, that kind of usage is crazy. And even though Harris was really inefficient, it's just that the Bills run D played amazing. You're chasing the volume here. So don't don't go and sell low on Najee Harris. If you could steal him from someone in your league who was concerned about that, where they just see the 45 yards and they don't really understand that he played 100% of the snaps, I would definitely go try to steal him. This His poor game doesn't affect my outlook on him at all going forward. And he has a great matchup at home against the Raiders this week, which where I think he'll pop. So... Don't be discouraged by Najee Harris's week one performance. Yeah, when I I really wanted Najee Harris, but you know I took Antonio Gibson over him in, in our league. The, this was the reason why I knew that for sure he was just going to get all of the touches, and and Pittsburgh's going to be a, a decent enough team to be in in a variety of game scripts where he'll be involved, right? So it's it's good to see. It's good to see a hundred percent. On to the next one. We have Seattle and Indy. We're going to talk about Chris Carson, old reliable, 91 yards. Frank, does this change it? Change your outlook for Chris Carson? What's interesting to me here with Chris Carson is that, number one, the Seahawks have a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, came over from the Rams. And when I look at Carson's snap percentage this week compared to last year, it's a starking contrast that uh, Carson last year played 50.44% of the snaps. Well, in week one, under a new offensive coordinator, he played 77.78%. So perhaps this new play caller prefers to just stick mostly to one running back and he really trusts Chris Carson. So you have to be encouraged with that. And Carson, you know, he got 16 carries. And with in terms of targets, you know, I believe he got a couple. I'm just pulling it up right now. He had three targets, so he's used a bit in the passing game. He caught all three of them for 26 yards. I was lower on Carson coming in because of that snap count, but it's a big change, and I think that's something we'll see going forward. Rashad Penny's also hurt, and, you know, Alex Collins was inactive in week one. He'll probably be active now, but it's his Carson's backfield. You have to like what you saw from him in week one. Yeah, nice, solid, reliable running back. Like you said, with the new offensive coordinator, eyes were on Russ to really go off this week. But uh, to see that there was also room for the running game and to keep that steady is nice to see. Now, next, we're going to go with the Minnesota and Cincinnati game. And Cincinnati, well, let's just say Jamar Chase. Kind of looks like a wide receiver number one, doesn't he, Frank? He absolutely does. We have to eat our words immediately. That's the key. When we realize we're wrong, we identify that right away and we correct it. So what was I wrong about? I was wrong that Jamar Chase was overvalued in fantasy drafts. His ADP dipped down the stretch because he was having issues with preseason and preseason where he was dropping balls. But if you really think about it, looking back, I mean, he didn't play all of the year before. You have to think he was rusty. And 
Joel Burrow didn't show any signs of rust coming off the torn ACL. He looked efficient and really good. And Jamar Chase reaped the rewards. Now take a look at how he just stepped right into a stacked wide receiver room. And he immediately was the number one. He played 89.86% of the snaps, led the wide outs by 16% compared to T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. He had 114 air yards. The next closest was T. Higgins at 41. Chase had an average depth of target of 16.3, which was twice as many as T. Higgins and almost three times as many as Tyler Boyd. Chase led the team in target share 26.92%, Higgins 19, Boyd 15, and Chase had five catches for 101 yards and a touchdown in his NFL debut. He looks like a beast. He's a clear-cut wide receiver too, probably even a top 20. Like He looked phenomenal, Just and he was great in DFS because no one played him because they were worried about his struggles. T. Higgins is great too. He looked good. And I know he missed some of the game. He had to leave to get checked out on the sidelines. But it looks like Jamar Chase is the wide receiver one here. T. Higgins looks like the clear two. And Tyler Boyd looks like someone you might not be so excited about anymore. Yeah, it looks like that opportunity for Tyler Boyd over the past few years of that short intermediate guy is now kind of just dwindling. He might just be a third down specialist type guy. So it's good to see Jamar Chase, this exciting wide receiver. Look, get over these, get over these uh, little hiccups in the, in the beginning of his career and take off. Exactly. Now we're going to go on to a second year player who let's just say my notes say uh, did nothing. Jacksonville and Houston James Robinson did absolutely nothing. Oof. Frank, what, what happened here? Oh, my goodness. This guy was my boy last year. Helped me win a title in our home league together. I was uh, excited about him with, you know, obviously you, we cared. We feel bad Travis Etienne got injured, but it looked like Robinson would have the lead role. looked like Jacksonville's offense would be improved. Well, they looked awful against a team that was expected to be the worst in the league in the Texans. And Robinson's usage is really troubling. Robinson last year played like at least 80% of the snaps pretty much every game, if not more, maybe even 90%. This week, in week one, with a new coaching staff, he played 63.51% of the snaps. Carlos Hyde played almost 34% of the snaps. Hyde out-carried James Robinson 9-5. to And James Robinson... Well, he did have six targets, so that can help. That's his one saving grace is that he'll still be the primary passing down running back. But at the same time, this Jaguars offense looks awful. Their offensive line is a mess. Uh, Lawrence threw three picks and averaged very low yards per attempt. They're struggling there. For now, I think for the time being, you have to bench all of your Jaguars. Even I'm benching LaVisca Chenault who caught seven passes just because this offense is a disaster. And guess who they play this week? The Denver Broncos. They're not going to do much against them. So if you have Robinson, I don't care if you took him in the fourth or even the third round, I would bench him this week, not liking what I'm seeing there. And also there's reports that Urban Meyer, like that his heart isn't into it and that he might leave to go coach USC and pull a Bobby Petrino the old Falcons coach who left mid season to go back to college, which was ridiculous. And we could see it again. 
So avoid all Jaguars, avoid James Robinson. If you can, I'd try to even sell him for even 75 cents on the dollar, selling low a little bit because I'm very concerned with what we saw in week one. It don't really look like much of anything. You know, I was hoping that maybe Houston, it was just like Houston is a little bit better than expected. But honestly, when you really break it down, that the Jaguars just look out of place right now. And Urban Meyer just not might not be cut out for it because he's already battling so many issues with the people he hires, the way he treats his staff. It's already starting to pile up for him where he had so much control in college, was able to pick the players and, you know, do whatever he wanted, yell at these 18 year olds and they'll do what he says. And it, but you know, these are grown men. So this is a whole different concept and it's affecting our fantasy teams, Frank, and you know that we don't like it. Exactly. So, now on to the next one, we're going to go with a, a kind of surprising game in Arizona and Tennessee where Tennessee was basically non-existent. Everyone, everyone on the, the Titans didn't really do too much, but now Arizona on the other hand was a completely different story. We were going to talk about Rondell Moore though. Why is that Frank? So I really liked Rondell Moore coming into week one in a projected shootout. And I thought the Titans, yeah, would do much more. I thought they'd score a lot of points, but they didn't. So that Arizona defense looks improved. You look at Moore's line, it, it was pretty respectable. Uh, he caught four, four catches. He had five targets. He had 68 yards. This is a playmaker. He caught all those catches on only 28.99% of the snaps. And you got to think that increases as this year goes along because he's just a playmaker, this kid. He's going to get those low, uh, those short targets as his average depth of target is 4.8, but he's able to make a mess after the catch. He's really good after the catch. And if you look at the wide outs here, look at their numbers. So Hopkins, eight targets. He caught six of them. That's good efficiency. Christian Kirk, five targets. He caught five of them. Also great efficiency. Rondale Moore, five targets. He caught four. Good as well. But look at AJ Green. He kept the same pattern he had last year where he was the least, he was the most inefficient wideout in the NFL. And AJ Green had six targets. He only caught two of them. So if that continues and Green continues to show that he's declining as a wideout, you will see Rondell Moore ascend up the depth chart and take over for Green as at least the three, maybe even the two in this offense. So you might. You know, if you have a short bench, be like, okay, Rondale Morey did okay. You might get a little discouraged at the 29% snaps. But I'm telling you to, if you have room to hang on, because there are better days to come. And if you drop him, mark my words, in a couple weeks or at some point, he'll be a pickup. Now, if he's on free agents and you have room, like you have a Philip Lindsay, make the move. Pick up Rondale Moore. He's a playmaker and it was a modest showing, but it was an encouraging showing for his rest of the season outlook yeah 460 you know 68 yards that does look like a nice little introduction it's nice but uh, frank what would you say to some people who say christian kirk's going to be that guy who takes over aj green yeah so the thing is i think in this arizona offense the three wideouts can be pretty solid christian kirk i always liked he's he showed promise in his er earlier years and his rookie season he's got some upside uh, but I think both of them are worth looking at definitely Kirk could be the number two 
but I think you have to also consider more. And even though Moore had a worse game than Kirk, really all Kirk did better was that he got the two touchdowns because he only had two more yards and one more catch. Kirk played much more snaps, but I think that's just a matter of Rondell Moore getting eased in. I think Moore is going to pass A.J. Green. I know I talked up A.J. Green early in the summer that maybe a change of scenery would benefit him, but he just did not show much in week one. It looked like more of the same. That leads me to believe it's going to be the Hopkins, Kirk, and Moore show. And if you listen to our earlier podcast when we were talking about possible bets for Kyler Murray MVP and the Arizona Cardinals winning the division after week one you're looking at the NFC West and it looks like yeah. it might be the Cardinals and Rams to, to fight it out between yeah they looked amazing their defense like Chandler Jones is a monster JJ Watt showed he could still play they got Isaiah Simmons and that who Javen Collins that other uh, linebacker they got a lot of athleticism and talent on defense just their back end that's questionable but wow what a performance i was shocked yeah absolutely now we have uh miami and new england next where miami shocked new england with a late win with uh, damian harris fumble that cost new england the game and we're going to talk about a miami wide receiver though their first round pick jalen waddle who looked every bit of that explosive first round pick you know with 14, oh wait, sorry, that's Javante Williams with four catches and 61 yards. Now he played 80% of the snaps. Frank, how's Jalen Wall looking? Well, that was a very impressive and encouraging debut. Uh, Six targets, so he had a 22.22% target share. The thing with him is that, he also scored a touchdown, by the way. Uh, But the thing with him is that it's not like he's just this deep threat just because he's a bit undersized and he's super fast. His average depth of target was 11. That was fewer than Devontae Parker and Albert Wilson. So Waddle is, can make it happen in the shorter to intermediate passing game as well. So you have to be really encouraged. And Tua played with him at Alabama. That established rapport is great. The one concern I would have is that Will Fuller didn't play this game. He was suspended. And Will Fuller will be back in week two here against Buffalo. So we're going to have to keep a close eye to see how this, this usage changes and who it affects more between Parker and Waddle, or if it's just that, hey, Albert Wilson played 40% of the snaps, that'll decrease significantly, and it'll be three wideouts with an impact in Parker, Waddle, and Fuller. But overall, you have to be pleased with what you saw to Jalen Waddle. Yeah, and with that point of Fuller, Fuller will just could be that Fuller just comes in and plays the deep pass role. And while Waddle is more of the gadget, short, use that run after the catch ability, like on his touchdown, he just took off and dove. Like it yeah. looks to seem like he dove like six feet, seven feet. But it's uh, it was really impressive to see all of these rookie wide receivers are coming out right away and showing, yeah. showing out. Even my boy, uh, we were talking about Carolina, but, you know. Oh, uh, he looked good. Yeah. Terrace Marshall, he looked good. He had two red zone targets. He was, he looked like someone that might be, might be, uh, you pick him up early now, and then later on in the year, just completely takes off because, hey, Robbie Anderson might not get the same role as last year. 
So yeah. I don't want to go into that too much, but that's true. He looked good too. Basically, every rookie showed something. Every rookie wideout, you know, Chase, Devonta Smith, Waddle, Rondell Moore, except Elijah. So yeah, interesting. And, you know, maybe that's just on the Jets and their offensive line issues. Yeah. But we're going to just move right on to another rookie, Javante Williams. Against the Giants, he had uh, 14 rushes for 45 yards. What did you think of him? That what'd you, what'd you think of him? So he had an inefficient game in his debut. The Giants defense is pretty solid. So I'm not too concerned about the inefficiency. I'm more so happy that it wasn't like Melvin Gordon outsnapped him at all they both had 50 percent of the snaps javante williams had 14 carries melvin gordon had 11 i know gordon finished with 101 yards but i'm just going to get the exact uh distance of that run he had that long run at the end of the game that obviously put him over the top it was a 70 yard run so before that run he was 10 carries for 31 yards it wasn't like he was just showing that he's way he was way more efficient than Javante so overall I know it was a modest performance but I'm still just as uh, optimistic about Williams's outlook right now he's a high upside flex but down the stretch I really think he'll be entrenched as an RB2 for fantasy leagues and this week he has a good chance both backs do really at having a big game because they face what looks like the new worst team in football the texans have lost that title it's, they've been give, they gave it to the jacksonville jaguars broncos could have a positive game script here where they're playing with the lead just pounding the ball with williams and gordon so i think we'll have a much better game here in week two and i'm just as confident at javante williams after that first game yeah i you have i think you have to be confident especially when right off the right out of the gate it, you get that straight 50-50 split and snap snap exactly. count. So that makes you feel nice that it's not going to be too much slanted on Melvin Gordon. Exactly. So we get another uh, big, big hype, pre-draft hype player, Marquez Call- uh, Callaway. Frank, he did uh, just about nothing, just <laughs> completely got out of the game script. Now, what what what's your outlook here with – with him this year after such a poor showing yeah it was a really disappointing performance he only had you know two targets 10 percent target share he had one catch for 14 yards but here's the thing number one the packers have jair alexander who's one of the best cover corners in the nfl that obviously could have slowed callaway down callaway is the only established wide out right now and he's not even really established he showed spurts last year but he was coming in as the number one and you know, he's he's not a household name, so it was a tough spot for him against Jair Alexander. That's one. Number two, Jameis Winston only th- attempted 20 passes, so that's not like he had a lot of chances to make an impact, Callaway, that is. And Winston threw for 148 yards, so it wasn't like he just went off. The other thing is Marquez Callaway played 83% of the snaps. The next closest wideout, was Deontay Harris at 43% of the snaps. So it's clear that Callaway is still being used as the team's number one. Maybe you can, because he got too hyped towards the end, he was going way too high, but by no means am I dropping him yet or selling low. I'm giving him another chance. In week two, 
They go up against the Panthers. We'll see how his role changes. I bet he'll have more targets. So be patient with Callaway. Give him another week. Let's see how the usage plays out. But you have to love the fact that he doubled the next closest wideout in snaps. And you have to give him basically a mulligan because Winston only passed the ball 20 times for not even 150 yards. Yeah, that the game basically told him he, they didn't need him anymore, right? Yeah. He had all of the, he had the opportunity, like you said, with the snap counts, but at the same time, it's what are you going to do when you're up by that much? And Aaron Rodgers is punting the ball midfield who could be throwing this season away. That be, imagine that'd be crazy. That would be a great spin to this year, eh? Yeah, Just have be, it. Like all, be, think about like every day, ESPN would wake up and talk about Aaron Rodgers holdout just so they can have a full year of Aaron Rodgers completely tanking. That'd be crazy. Yeah. That'd be, I think they'll bounce back against the lions, but man, if he's pulling like a Vince Carter, like when he didn't try in Toronto for the Raptors, uh, that'd be pretty wild. That would be wild, especially with the game that it's a, such a physical game. So it's you're basically telling the people that are you know risking all these like concussions and everything that you know your life doesn't really matter right now i'm gonna do what i want until the organization trades me and it's yeah because wow. in, in other sports it's easier in this one it's just completely you're getting hit all the time it's, well hopefully he's not doing that especially for you know if you're if you have aaron Rodgers in a league and he did absolutely nothing like i was talking to james today friend of the show he was talking about how he had Aaron Rodgers and it could just completely cost him the week. Yeah. Yeah. Just a horrible performance. Yeah. Now, speaking of horrible performances, I'll say someone that you expected to have horrible performances this year was none other than CEH himself. Now, KC and Cleveland had a little bit of a battle. Frank, what's the outlook for CEH this year? So... This is like a double-sided coin here. So on the one hand, I was talking a lot of shit during the game that, hey, look, CEH is, is really not being used the way he wanted to. At that time, he had like three carries for three yards. Like he was not, he doesn't look explosive. And, you know, a lot of people were thinking maybe he could be an RB1. I just don't see it for him. Uh, he finished with 14 carries. He also had, uh, how many targets here? He had three targets. So that's what I've been saying. It's not like he's going to be this Alvin Kamara type or even DeAndre Swift. He's not going to be DeAndre Swift where he gets 10 targets in a game. It just doesn't work that way. Mahomes doesn't check it down that much. Like we told you on the show, he airs it downfield for Hill and Kelsey. Having said that, there was one thing that was pretty encouraging if you like CEH is that he played 72% of the snaps and Daryl Williams did not play very many snaps at all. Neither did Jarek McKinnon, which maybe McKinnon's getting eased in. Maybe he'll have a larger role. We don't know. But right now, CH is getting a lot of, of snaps. It's just that he's the supporting player here. He's, he's the clear number three. So he's more of like a solid RB2. But what we were seeing in terms of hype that he could finish as a top five I just do not see that happening. He's he's like a in the Chris Carson mold, that solid RB two that can that plays in a good offense, and he's while he's playing seventy percent of the snaps. That's great to see for you. 
It's just that I don't, I didn't see the upside that others did. And after one week, I'm proven right. We'll see how it goes. I will say though, that this week they play the Ravens on the road. So we'll see how he does. That'll be a shootout. We'll see last year. He did well against the Ravens. Let's see if he gets a bit more targets, but right now you got to think of him more in like the RB 16 to 18 type of player. When I saw people ranking him in the top 10, which I thought was just way too aggressive. So with CH overall, what my overall, uh, Assessment of his week one performance is I saw what I expected, but I did see a little bit more snaps than what I thought. So I might give him a little, like he, he'll be a decent player, but I'm not, he's not someone I'm super excited about like others are. Yeah. You've been, like you've been saying all, all off season, you're not expecting CEA to do too much, get that RB one status and we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but I'm not, uh, I'm kind of with you right with you there. I don't, uh, it doesn't really what light happen- my fire. What happens is you, people see he was drafted in the first round. He plays for a ridiculous offense in Kansas city. And that bumps that inflates his value. And in reality, they just don't use him as much as other running backs in terms of you. I know snaps. He had a lot, but in terms of carries and targets. So like what he had 17 total opportunities in week one, that's nothing really so great. So he just looks like that solid RB twos in a good offense. All right, now we're gonna switch it up to some RB twos that surprised. Now Chicago and Los Angeles went off on Sunday night, and both Mont uh, David Montgomery and Daryl Henderson went and look went out and looked pretty darn solid. Does this switch up your outlook on either of those guys, Frank? Well, for one, it just shows that Montgomery was getting no respect, like I wrote in a 4 for 4 article earlier in the offseason. People were discounting him and saying, hey, he struggled early on. I'm not going to really care about this dominant stretch he showed down like in the last five games or so. Well, what did he do against a tough run defense in week one? He ran for 108 yards on 16 carries. He played 59.42% of the snaps, which... Obviously, you want to see a bit more than that, but he looked, he looks like a, he's just improved as a running back. And, you know, you got to love him as an RB2, especially once Justin Fields takes over and he has that threat of his legs. Montgomery is going to have some wide open running lanes. And you got to love that. And I, speaking of the player we just talked about, all offseason, I was ranking Montgomery ahead of CEH because I think Montgomery is the better running back. And, Montgomery looked a lot better than CEH. I know CEH had more usage, like more snap percentage, and he plays for the Chiefs, but I love the explosion Monty showed. So he looks like a high-end RB2 going forward, especially this week where he could finish in the top 12 against Cincinnati's uh, weak defense. Looking on the other side, this one is interesting, which is why I had to, I added last minute that I wanted to talk about him, and that's Daryl Henderson. So when Cam Akers had the season-ending injury, we thought he'd carry the load. Then they went out and traded for Sony Michelle. So we thought that, you know, Michelle will play like a 30% type of role, maybe 35, close to 40, and maybe even take the role. Well, what happened in week one? Daryl Henderson finished second among running backs in snaps. He played 94% of the snaps. Sony Michelle, I was watching that game. He didn't come in until the fourth quarter when... 
the Rams were up by like 20. So Henderson got monster usage. He, he wasn't like anything spectacular. He ran for 70 yards and a touchdown on 16 carries. But with him being on the field that much, with how good Stafford looked and how explosive this offense will be, you got to like Daryl Henderson's outlook after what you saw in this game. He looks like a rock-solid RB2 with upside. And they played the Colts this week. You got to just be comfortable with him in your RB2 slot. Yeah, with all the question marks before the season, he really came out and kind of eased everyone's worries. Like you said, Sony Michelle coming out in the second half, that kind of settles everyone down. Now, Daryl Henderson may not have had the best game, but knowing that he was out there and the Rams were destroying you know, doing their doing what they're going to do most of the week, mostly weeks. I think you can expect for him to lose the job. It would take something, I think, astronomical. I think it would have to be like a an injury, obviously, or something where he has a bad stretch. But I don't see that happening with this offense as good as it is. It's going to give him the opportunities to get those positive plays. Exactly. And I, I want to say one thing now when you see Ram, this Rams team trade picks, it's like you don't even need to put a lot of stock in it because the fact that they traded for Michelle made me think they'd want to use him more, but it's like, they don't care. They'll just like, you know, well, let's just get this insurance. Who cares? Let's trade this pick because people could say like, Oh, Michelle just got there. I think someone on Twitter replied that to me, but Latavius Murray just got to Baltimore and he played. So that's not a valid excuse to me. So it looks like Henderson, while you probably won't see him 94% of the snaps, you definitely are going to see him 70 and that's valuable in this offense. So you got to like him going forward. Yeah. Now you just mentioned another running back. So we're just going to segue right into that Monday night matchup, wild matchup against the Raiders and Ravens. Now, instead of taking, talking about Latavius, we're going to talk about his partner here. Anyone Jordan Jackson Tyson. That's a Frank tweet. That was a, that's a frat classic. <laughs> that's uh fra what did you bring think? in some biggie and any chance i get in, in fantasy football exactly so what'd you think about tyson this week frank well early on you know he looked great he had that long touchdown run and i did a tweet saying that latavius murray has a better chance of losing his backup role to Le'Veon bell than he does taking the job from tyson williams and then the ravens of course just went to murray in the second half which was weird and I think what that was is that, uh, you know, Max Crosby, the pass rusher on the Raiders, was just giving the Ravens fits. Like he was eating up their offensive line and pressuring Lamar. So I think what happened was Coach Jim uh, John Harbaugh wasn't really trusting Tyson Williams in pass protection. And we saw him whiff on a block. I believe that led to the fumble that Lamar made. So he probably trusted the veteran Murray in pass protection. And then he didn't want to take him off the field. So they got, he ended up getting the carries and that's what happened here. You also have to remember Tyson Williams, this is his first NFL action. So the fact that he had 51% of the snaps, if you told me that at the end of this game, without telling me the order in which it happened, I would be really happy with that. But it's just the fact that Williams dominated early on and then it was all Murray down the stretch that concerns people. But I have to say that it looks like Tyson Williams will be the 1A here 
with Murray taking away maybe third down work and goal line carries and playing like a Gus Edwards role. So Tyson Williams is the preferred choice here in fantasy. Uh, you could think of him as on the fringe of RB2 and uh, slash upside flex. I would honestly, if I had James Robinson, I would use the fact that I took him in the third round and the fact that he had a big year last year to trade him for Tyson Williams and make that that player add someone like maybe Tyson Williams and another player like a Mike Williams or like a Christian Kirk Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall, just a piece to add in because I'm just not liking what I'm seeing out of the Jags and Tyson Williams will still be in a, in a good offense. So overall, I'm not too discouraged by the performance. In fact, I'm, I'm happy with what I saw. I think what you're going to see this year with, uh, with the Ravens is what they showed in the second half where they don't really worry too much about what the running back can do because Lamar Jackson is their main running back. So as long as they have someone who can protect them and they know that they can trust back there, I think that's what Latavius gives them. But like you said, Tyson, Tyson Williams looked much better, much more burst, fresher. He's yeah. obviously younger. So it's more exciting to see a player like that burst through the hole compared to Latavius, who had, had I think, what, two-something yards per carry. It was... Yeah, he wasn't efficient. Yeah, 2.8 yards per carry. Yeah, so, you know, I don't know. It, I have Latavius in the league, and I'm not too excited about him, but at the same time, I know it's fantasy football. It's all about opportunity. He, you know, one injury against behind yeah. that offensive line, and it just looks like he's going to do something. Yeah. But Tyson Williams looks yeah. good. Murray is a nice bench piece. I'd rather have him than someone like Alexander Madison, who's just like a guy that doesn't even play at all and is only useful if Cook gets hurt. So definitely keep he's good depth, Murray. Yeah, to have those uh, backups that actually do something on a week-to-week basis, like we were talking before with Gainwell, it's really nice to see that that type of usage. And yeah, that was huge. That was one of the biggest takeaways from this list, really, like... I think we did a great job really going through some huge storylines in terms of upgrades or downgrades and fantasy value. And Gainwell was one of the biggest because I think coming into the week, you know, I was considering dropping Philip Lindsay before this game for Gainwell because Gainwell has more upside in my eyes. Uh, but now that you see how Boston Scott was, was in playing, Gainwell is just a home run waiver right now. And he was, I believe, 9% rostered in Yahoo League. So, got to yeah. love it for him. Yeah. And honestly, it's going to be one of those uh, late night late night Tuesdays. I have the waiver priority set. Dropping Ramondre Stevenson. I've had a – I think that's um, – when you saw what happened with Damian Harris. Yeah. Like, I think Damian Harris is more equipped to handle that bounce back where I had such a big fumble. But – you know, I'm already in this system. I'll be fine in the next game where Stevenson, I read a quote where it wasn't even a fumble and he, he knew it wasn't a fumble, but the ref didn't know it was, a didn't know that it wasn't a fumble. So they called it a fumble and he kind of just gave up on the play oh, and that wow. really upset a lot of the, a really? lot of the coaching staff. So it kind of, when I read that, it made me a cause for pause. Like, you know, yeah, it, plus... it, might be, it might be like a month where he does 
does nothing and I can't have that on my bench. Exactly. You can't, that's the thing. You got to act quickly. You got to, even with your bench, you got to churn this bench through. Like if let's say Brandon Ayuk for four weeks is a non-factor, then he becomes on the borderline. You just have to act. And with what you saw out of, you're going to get Elijah Mitchell who just dominated work. We didn't talk about him today because he's like a common player that's being talked about. I wanted to switch it up. Elijah Mitchell, you got to think he's the 1A there. Trey Sermon, healthy scratch. It's not like Sermon's just going to jump into the lead role. That would be unlikely. And Mitchell looked great. 104 yards on 19 carries. Yeah, you can take the risk, especially if you're in those fab leagues where you bid uh, money on them and you might waste it, but the reward is too good to pass up. If Mitchell is basically their 1A, like he could be a top 20 back, no problem in that offense. So for you, especially like Stevenson barely played, it's a definitely the right move. Yeah, with uh, also with the uh, with Mitchell, how many times have we seen it where uh, any position, uh, specifically running back, we could just talk about it now, but where a running back gets drafted really high, but then a running back later has more opportunity, undrafted, comes out and does well. You know, we were talking about James Robinson came out as an undrafted rookie. There are more, I heard a stat, more undrafted players in the NFL right now than first rounders. So when you, wow. when you look at it like that, there's throughout the entire draft, there are good players. So it, just because they have a third round grade doesn't mean they fit the system, understand the system as much as someone who might be much more prepared for it that you get in the sixth round. Yeah, you actually gave me a good uh, example. I just remembered with my own team, Washington, back, I don't know, like five years ago. So they drafted Matt Jones in like the fourth round. He was a running back. If you remember, he had those dreadlocks. You know, he looked he looked pretty like he could be good. And he ended up basically losing his job to a player who was, I believe he was undrafted, Robert Kelly. They used to call him Fat Rob. <laughs> and he, Kelly took the lead role. So, and hey, that was when, guess who was the coach? None Kyle other. Shanahan. Yeah, Mike Shanahan was the coach, but Kyle Shanahan was the play caller. It, oh, <laughs> we just burst into the, per- we just jumped into the Matrix? perfect uh, tweet comparison, but let me just make sure that Mike Shanahan was the coach <laughs> of Washington then. So, he, oh, no, he wasn't. <laughs> that would have been. What, I thought three. he was for sure. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. It was Jay Gruden. We stand corrected. But the point remains, it's like the running back with the lower draft capital can definitely take over. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I saw somewhere... Like he didn't, that Elijah Mitchell didn't look too explosive or explosive, or he didn't, uh, he didn't do much with like moves wise. He did, he just kind of like one cut or whatever. But when I heard one cut, I'm like, that's Cal Shanahan. That's, that's exactly that's, his, all, that's all they want. Remember, that was Alfred Morris and he ran for 1600 yards. That's another example, though. Go, Alfred Morris coming into that year when he was a rookie, uh, they had Roy Halu. And they had another running back. Let me, we're going to pull this up really quick because this could be the better comparison. So I'm going to look at Washington depth chart. 
I'm going to go back to 2012. There's a great site. It's called ourlads.com. And you can go all the way back to 2007 at depth charts. So I'm going to look here. I'm going back to September 1st, 2012. And their running backs on their team was Alfred Morris, Evan Royster, and Roy Hallou. So that year, Roy Hallou, let me see when he was drafted just to check. Hello. I used to love this guy. Roy Hallou, hold on. I'm pulling him up. So this was 2012, I said, right? Yeah. So the year before, Roy Hallou led the team. Like he had 640 rushing yards. He had 379 receiving yards. But he lost the job to Alfred Morris. Roy Hallou was drafted in the fourth round in 2011. Alfred Morris, I believe, was what was he undrafted or sixth round? He was sixth round the next year. Evan Royster, I know he's a no name, but guess what? Guess where he was drafted? He was drafted in the sixth round the year before, 2011. So it was between, like, they had two running backs already there, and they, they had this Alfred Morris come out of nowhere and lead the team in carries. Perfect comparison. And I'm going to actually tweet it right after the show. Uh, it's a good comparison. You got to pick up Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, we got an inside look here, and it kind of, Frank just swung me there with that uh, Cal Shanahan late round running back comparison. My goodness, Frank, another week in the books, and can't wait for Thursday coming up. Maybe we'll get a little DFS flex action again. But uh, exciting stuff! All right, great talking with you. Great breaking down the week one performances. That's it, and we're off to week two. Let's do this. Thank you for tuning in to the Fantasy Jones podcast. Keep up with the Fantasy Jones on Twitter, Instagram, and our website, thefantasyjones.com.